Because I wanted to spread out our examination of the fall, the fall of man, I've purposely addressed it at stations along the way, a little bit here, a little bit there, rather than holding off until the actual event recorded in Genesis 3. It being a monumental event that will forever change man and the world in which he lives, I did not want to reserve it, cramming it all into one or maybe two sessions. So we have discussed it so far in chapter 1 at verses 26 and 29 to 30, chapter 2, verse 7, and just last week, verses 15 to 17. The downside of this, I realized as I was beginning work on this this week, is that we might prematurely think of Adam and Eve as fallen before they really are in the narrative. As we approach verse 18 in chapter 2, Adam is still alone and remains in his created, pristine state. As Leupold states it, a moral being standing on a very high plane of perfection. So let's read our passage. Genesis 2, verses 18 to 20. Verse 18, then Yahweh God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. This is, it means a help of his like. That is a, a helping being in which as soon as he sees it, he may recognize himself. That's Kyle and Delish. A help of his like, as soon as he sees it, he may recognize himself. That, that much like him. I'm hoping that's our experience when we get to heaven. When we see Christ. Once again, it's necessary for us to be reminded of the narrative timeline. Some might read this verse and think they see a contradic contradiction. How can God now identify something that is not good? Didn't He just declare that everything was very good? Didn't He declare all of His creation very good at the end of chapter 1? Well, we're in chapter 2. Has things changed? Well, indeed He did. But the creation of woman was accomplished within the sixth day which is where this passage, verses 18 to 25, resides in the narrative. It was in verse one, verse, chapter 1, verse 31, after the creation of the woman, that God declared that all was very good. 
It wasn't until he made woman that everything was very good. <laughs> Once again, chapter 2 expands upon chapter 1. It does not compete with it. It's easy to have a skewed perception of this episode. We could read it as the Almighty discovering to his surprise that something is missing in the man's life. And then trying out a number of possible solutions before finally discovering the correct one. Don't deny it. There was a time in your life when you may have read this that way. That is not at all what's happening here in verses 18 to 25. There is, as we will see, a purposeful method to God's actions here. Now, I can only speak from personal experience. But from that, over the last 53 years, I have seen and lived the wisdom behind God's genius in stating that man is incomplete without woman. And God's genius works both ways. Both husband and wife complete each other. In fact, as Paul writes, both own each other. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament, isn't it? Haven't been there for a while. Oh yes, 1 Corinthians, I remember that. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 to 4. I, I would interpret that as ownership. And it goes without saying, so I'll say it anyway. The first portion of verse 4 in 1 Corinthians 7 drives today's culture absolutely insane. Because they leave out the second part. It's complementary. It is the same situation for both sexes. We own each other in the marriage un union. Perhaps you, like me, have read this passage in the past. Back to our back to back to our passage. Perhaps you've read this passage in the past, thinking that God parades all the beasts of the field past Adam and only then decides that none of them are what he's looking for. <clears throat> and so he proceeds to create one that is more suitable for the man. But if one reads carefully, one sees that cannot, that cannot be the case. God says that he will make a suitable helper for the man. That is, he knows he hasn't made it yet. Verse 19 states that God had formed, now let me press pause here just for a moment, except for the NASB and the King James versions, all our versions have had formed.
formed. That is, these were created during the fifth and early sixth days of creation, prior to the creation of man and woman. Verses 20 to 25 of chapter 1. So, verse 19 states that God had formed the beasts at all. That is, he had done it in the past. So, obviously, none of them were suitable for man, because the one who's suitable for man, he hasn't made yet. David Guzik makes a good point regarding the word translated helper, which is the Hebrew ezer. We only see helping as a position of inferiority when we think like the world thinks. God considers positions of service as most important in His sight. And He cites Matthew 20. Let's look at that. Jesus speaking to His disciples. Matthew 20, hang on, hang on, hang on, chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, now. Out of all the ways this phrase, helper suitable, is translated, I favor the New King James Version, which reads, a helper comparable to him. A helper comparable to him. Leupold writes, her position is further defined by the expression, like him, kenegdo. Literally, as a green to him or his counterpart. She's the kind of help man needs. Agreeing with him mentally, physically, spiritually. She is not an inferior being. End quote. Guzik adds, she should be considered and honored as such. A woman or wife cannot be regarded as a mere tool or worker, but as an equal partner in God's grace and an equal human being. End quote. And not to put too fine a point on it, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the Apostle Paul includes helps, the role the woman will be filling in the marriage, in that list of spiritual gifts. It's important. It's God-ordained. Verse 19. And out of the ground Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. As we discussed in class last week, Adam was assuredly no slouch in the intellect department. And note that God did not command the man to do this to name the beasts and birds, but he just waited to see what he would call them. I don't know about you, but every time I read verse 19 in the beginning of verse 20, I wonder, why are you telling me this here, God? 
What does this have to do with creating a partner for the man? I mean, if he's not literally parading through all these animals to, okay, can I find us something suitable for the man? If that's not what's going on, well, then why is he doing it? Why is he... He starts out saying, man needs a helper. Now let's look at all the animals. Before I suggest some possible answers to this, let me first energetically declare that what is assuredly not happening in this scene. Yahweh himself is not searching through these beasts in an attempt to find a mate for Adam. That would be entirely out of character for our omnipotent, <laughs> omniscient God, and it would be utterly ridiculous. As well as breaking the pattern of God's creation, creating creative process itself. Remember, as we've read through all of this, with its emphasis on grouping together beings with others of the same kind, that's been emphasized throughout from the very beginning, making something of the same kind and grouping them together. Well, if he was looking for a, a mate for the man and all the animals, throw all that out. So let me offer some reasons for this being included in the account here. First, and I've included these, mostly what I do in the handouts is include things that I think are important and you might forget. I know I would. Um, so really, it's a subset of my notes. It's not in addition to. So first, it mirrors the pattern and sequence of chapter 1, verses 24 to 27, in which the beasts of the earth are created during the sixth day of creation, just before God makes man. Well, here he looks, names all the animals before he creates the helper for man. Same pattern. Second, one must keep in mind that in this scene, Yahweh God is the teacher and Adam the student. That's really the preeminent reason for this. And then there's things that happen as, he, as Adam is being taught. So in this, the parade of animals before the man becomes a visual aid, an object lesson to illustrate a fundamental truth for not God, but the human. Adam is being taught here. Third, we should not imagine that Adam is viewing and naming every last animal that has been created. He's not naming all the animals upon the entire earth. Verse 19 specifies just the wild, non-domestic beasts and birds. Now, curiously, in verse 20, it, it adds domestic beasts, depending on your translation, either cattle or livestock. There's every reason to believe that this would encompass a subset of animals. Some, some commentators will talk about he's naming animals that are the closest physically to him. In other words, they're mammals. Um, they have hair on their bodies. They, they're not crickets. They're not snakes but they're mammals. 
Yeah, maybe. He does exclude from the list fish and sea monsters and creeping things. So, yeah, they are a little closer in the families, but still they're beasts of the field. So I think this seems to suggest that he assigns names only to those animals and birds he lives with regularly, those in the vicinity, those around him, the ones he's familiar with. Because as we'll see in a moment, this naming is more than just slapping a label on them. So we could assume that he's naming those in the vicinity of the garden. Fourth, there is the curriculum, as it were, that Yahweh is teaching the man. First, he shows a contrast. God is demonstrating how the animals are different from Adam. So he may be showing him why he can't find a helper in these. See all these, Adam? See that how they are different from you? But second, he shows a similarity. God shows Adam that all the animals have corresponding mates, which Adam lacks. He needs one, too. So he may respond, hey, I want one of those. That is... In the moment, in this moment, it's a contrast because they have mates, but he doesn't. So that's contrast. But Yahweh is speaking to what should be a similarity. All the animals have mates. Adam needs one. All the animals and birds can propagate. He cannot. As Leupold states it, in this, a realization of man's loneliness was to be aroused in him. I heard that chuckle from the front row. Finally, there's something that the naming of these animals teaches us. And here's where this naming might, it means more than we might think. Leupold writes, at once we are made aware of the high intelligence level of the father of the human race. For the expression to give names in the Hebrew usage of the word name involves giving a designation expressive of the nature or character of the one named. And that's what, you know, how many times in our studies have we realized that in God's word, to give someone a name is far more than just putting a label on them. It, it actually, biblically, it represents who and what that person is. The name is very important, more important than, than, we, than we use it in this world today. And that's what Adam was doing. Just as here with the animals, he was... He wasn't just saying, okay, I think I'll call that one a cow. I think I'll call that one a horse. He was looking into that beast and saying, finding a name 
that meant something about that animal. Leupold continues, This was not a crude fable where, according to a Hebrew notion, the accidental utterance at the sight of new and strange creatures were retained as names for the future. Here was a man in deeper sympathy with nature than any have been ever since. That these names were appropriate and significant names for the various creatures appears also from the confirmatory statement of the author. Quote, whatever man called each living creature, that was its name. End quote. Such a statement embedded in so marvelous an account could hardly be made unless the names given had been appropriate and worthy of man's intelligence. Kyle and Delish adds, God does not order him to name them, but by bringing the beasts he gives him an opportunity of developing that intellectual capacity which constitutes his superiority to the animal world. There's always more in God's Word than we think, than what we read on the surface. And I'm grateful to those who help us understand. Now, before I proceed, any, any thoughts about that passage? Any questions? It does seem to be an act of dominion, like you said. Adam having dominion over the animals by naming them. Yeah? Yeah? God, God brought them to him. I don't know what those animals were doing, if they would even listen to him at that point. Maybe not. But it's interesting. It's kind of like Noah. He brought the animals to get on the ark. And, and some say that that is the case, that, that all, the, all the animals were called from all across the world and paraded in front of him. You know, maybe, maybe, but I don't think it needs to go that far because he doesn't include... Everyone. I mean, there were there were things, there were species stored away in the ark that were not included in this group. Yeah. I liked your point on on God teaching. Oh, Adam. Adam. he liked Adam. my point. <laughs> now you're One for me. <laughs> um, I like I, I like that point because well, what point? That that, uh, that God was teaching Adam mm-hmm. because. I had noticed this before or really thought deeply on it, but, you know, Adam, as smart as he was in, in having this capacity to name all the creatures and, and whatnot, um, he still didn't, it's not like he came to God and say, hey, I'm lacking something. God, you know. He didn't know he was lacking. Yeah, he didn't know. God had to tell him he was incomplete. Yeah, through this process of maybe, mm-hmm. like you said, bringing the animals and, hey, look, they've all got mates and. Um, so it was God, like you said, doing the teaching, doing the leading, and uh, yeah, that's good. On the other side of that, one of your points, I don't know if I agree or disagree, but... Give it your best shot. You know, it's interesting you made the distinction of, of a lot of the animals he, he didn't name or they weren't, you know, maybe some of the bugs or something. Well, it may be true, but... Well, etym- etymologically, it's true. I mean, in the, te- the text, the words, it is true. Now, the why 
that you can take issue with. It's just interesting that, you know, where, so where did the names for the mosquitoes? Yeah, I thought, I wondered the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> those, are not, those are not new names. They didn't just, well, you know, about, uh, you know, whatever century ago. Yeah, now we start calling them this. No, those names were way back when, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, somebody named them. Yeah. But it wasn't Adam, apparently. Well, or maybe he did it later. It's not at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that emphasizes that God is doing this for a teaching tool. That, that he's doing it for a reason. He, he, he has a thought process that's working here. And it's not important. The, the actual naming is not as important as making the point to Adam. That's the important part. So other things can be named later. Who cares? You know. I suppose the most important thing he was teaching Adam how much different he was over the we talked about it than the animals. He was had dominion over the animals, he could communicate with God. And then I think he knew that he was alone though. He, even though he had God, you know, I wondered Adam said, Boy, I wish I you know, had somebody else. Well, he could have learned a number of things yeah. from the like like Greg said, yeah. Dominion. Learning to be in charge, learning to have dominion over the rest of creation. Uh, That's a big job by yourself. <laughs> I, just, give me, I need some help for this. Yeah. You know, oh. hey, I have a thought. Whoa. Uh, but but also, yeah, his need for a mate yeah. because they have mates. I don't. Maybe they even had little ones, and he says, "How'd you do that?" <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, remember that he did make trees and bushes and plants. You saw, boop, they didn't have to grow up over time. Go ahead. Do you think that the command to exercise and have dominion came before Eve or after Eve? Because in chapter one, it's, it's kind of all wrapped up in, you know, he made them and, and not kind of like... Yeah, if, if we follow chapter one, he creates them and then he gives them the work to do. He gives them their station, so to speak. Yeah. So chapter two is just kind of re adding stuff between the lines yeah. in, in chapter one. So maybe yeah. that's why God had to bring the animals before Adam, almost as a like, hmm. like you know, to teach. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Good point. Good point. He hadn't yet said you'll have dominion. Let me show you what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. It, it's it's sort of like studying Revelation because it, it's hard to keep in mind the, the, the timeline here, the order in which things happen because it kind of loops back on itself. And yeah, okay, let's push ahead. I, I'm, we'll just make a start at the next passage and then we'll com <coughs> complete it in our next session. Let's read Genesis 2, verses 21 to 25. All right, verse 21. And the Lord God <coughs> caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the Adam said, <laughs> This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Whose idea was it for him to read? <laughs> I'll get you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking what Adam probably thought. Here, all right. I always thought he went, whoa. 
All right, let's take just a brief look at verse 21. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. God does some of his best work after putting someone to sleep. In Genesis 15, God causes a deep sleep, same word, to come upon Abram before establishing with him his covenant and promise for the promised land. One, one more tiny commercial for the LSB. When it comes to covenants, it doesn't say make a covenant or form a covenant or agree. It says cut a covenant, and that's exactly what it means. If you read that passage in Genesis 15, it's a bloody mess. He cuts all these animals in two. A whole procession of animals cuts them in two. Now, walk through there, Abram. Cut a covenant. Okay. Uh, also in Genesis 28, Yahweh declares himself to a sleeping Jacob. I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. Genesis 28:13. So here we have Adam being put to sleep so that Yahweh God can, can perform the first recorded surgery during the first recorded anesthetic. This was not a trance or a state of ecstasy, as some suggest. The Hebrew, tardimah, means a sound, insensible sleep, which is what you would want if somebody's cutting a rib out of you. After the fall, God will not hesitate to inflict pain upon man. But here, before the fall, he intends a painless surgery. I doubt he even left a scar. I like that line in old MASH episode. They're doing surgery on us. Is this, a, is this an officer or an enlisted man? Enlisted man. Make the scar big. Wait, was that a show, Dave? Yeah, that was a show. Back in the Old Testament. <laughs> As to what this surgery and its location represent, practically every commentator, especially older ones, expresses something similar. But David Guzik shares this version from Donald Barnhouse. Every commentator has a variation on this. I like this variation. There is a beautiful Jewish tradition saying God made woman not out of man's foot to be under him, nor out of his head to be over him, but she was taken from under his arm that he might protect her, and from next to his heart that he might love her. Aww. I like that. That's good stuff. Now consider for a moment the genius of our God. Imagine the profound, I mean, we had one opinion on what the first thing out of Adam's <laughs> mouth. Imagine the profound difference if he had made the first woman in the same way he made the first man. 
Just to refresh your memory, Genesis 2, verse 7. Then Yahweh God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so the man became a living being. If Yahweh had repeated the same process in his making of the first woman, where would be the unity? Where would be the intimate association? If that had been the process, we might imagine the first words from Adam's mouth is, well, who are you? What are you? Are you here to supplant me, to take my place here in the garden? Am I to compete with you? Would have been made the same way, disassociated from Adam. Instead, we have in verse 23, Adam's immediate and exquisite realization. Now, he wasn't told this. He just says this when he sees her. Ah, this one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because this one is, was taken out of man. That's exactly what woman means, out of man. She was not drawn from the dust, but from the bone and flesh of the man. Most commentators say you can't, you're not going to take that bone out without some flesh on it. That's why Adam says, and flesh of my flesh. She was not given breath from Yahweh God. We can only assume that since it's not stated. But received the breath of life from the body of the man. So she got her bones, her flesh, her breath from the man, out of man, woman. This passage, <coughs> verses 21 to 25, is one of my favorites. For it beautifully, even poetically, encapsulates the genius of the marriage union between man and woman. What an invention. And I recommend that especially in these dark times, in which there are those doing their best to corrupt and destroy the beauty and love of that union, even going so far as to reconfigure and redefine the very concept of the two sexes, I recommend that we take the time to dwell on, to savor, to reinforce in our own minds how lovingly, how sweetly God planned it from the beginning. There are those in our society hell-bent, and I mean that literally, hell-bent on destroying the beauty of God's creation. The beauty that exists within the union of husband and wife. Let us take the time, and we will, we will take the time in our next session to remember how our God always meant for it to be. Any final thoughts? Yes, Greg. Two things. One, one on the, what you just said, and, and I know you're going to get to this next week, but I just, you know, we always talk about, like, you know, what, what was in place in the world before the fall, and it's just interesting to note that before the fall, there was, therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father. Before there ever was a mother and father, there was only Adam and Eve, but therefore a man shall leave his, his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. So like you said, there's the institution of marriage. It's beautiful, but I know you're going to get there. My, my, my first thought was, um, 
what are your thoughts on 17 to 18? So the command that God gave Adam, just Adam at this point, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, lest you shall surely die. And then right after that, the Lord, you know, acknowledges, recognizes, or um, talks about, you know, um, finding a helper fit for the man, or does does stuff related to the helper fit for a man. It's almost like you can't do this alone, Adam, in a sense. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts there? I have no thoughts because I don't see any correlation. <laughs> to be honest. But from the tree of knowledge, period, end quote. Then Yahweh God said. I don't think they're connected in any way. Was Eve formed at this point, you think? That when he gave his command? No. No. She may have heard it from God later, or she may have heard it from Adam, but uh, no, if we, what's, what's happening in this portion in chapter 2, we come back and we cram that into day 6 of chapter 1. It's giving us more details. Um, and there's a number of things going on. I don't think they necessarily have to do with each other. My thought there is that... If you'd like to make the case, have at it. But I, I don't think so. My thought is the command was given to Adam, and that's why Adam bears the responsibility and not Eve. Um, and also, like, there's nothing wrong... Like, you know, people think, oh, well, you know, there must be something wrong with, with marriage or, or, or something like that because, uh, because, you know, Eve was the one who sinned first or something like that. But before all of that was in place, as far as Genesis 3 goes... You know, God acknowledging that it wasn't good for a man to be alone is a good thing, and and you know we're meant to bear this, you know, this this uh, path towards you know when the Lord calls us home together. You know, there's something good in that. Now I know some have the gift of celibacy, but I'm just acknowledging the Lord's wisdom. In Whoa, you're going all over the place here. Marriage is good, I guess. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, you're you're in agreement with God. Thank you. A uh, quick comment I thought of as you were saying that if God had created woman in the same way that he created man, we would have then had two races. But because he made woman out of man, there is still only one race, that is the human race, all from Adam. Well, I, I agree with the second part of that. I don't, I have to think a little bit more about the first part. Um, then there you have two separate, completely... Possibly, possibly. It depends on what kind of dust it was. <laughs> you know, that but, was like gold dust. But certainly, certainly it's true that the way he did do it, they are one. They are one kind. Yes, you can't, can't get around that. The only woman to come from a man. Ever since then, every man has come from a woman. In a sense, I I won't say a thing. <laughs> I had a uh, discussion uh, a few years ago with a, a guy who argued that uh, Genesis and the creation in the Bible is false because uh, man didn't have one less rib. And I just pointed right. out, God did not change his DNA. He did surgery. And... Uh, God would never talk to me again. Because <laughs> <laughs> he thought 
about it. Every man should have one yeah. last strip. <laughs> yeah. What, I, what yeah. I'm interested in when he says formed it. Probably the same way he formed Adam. We don't know. <laughs> I thought it was curious that Adam said, uh, for this reason man should leave his mother and father. And I thought, what do you know of mother and father? Right. Yeah. I wonder if Abraham just added that. I'm not Abraham, Moses added that. Well, it looks like because the whole language was ready to go. I mean, he was created with the knowledge of how to speak. You can hear him speaking in the yeah. text in here. He's already got it, except for the animal names, apparently. Because it doesn't say, I have a feeling he already had the knowledge that there was going to be. It doesn't say a father. And he already had a father. God. Stay tuned. <laughs> I could expound, but I'm not going to. Because it's, it's, it's time for pot roast. <laughs> father God, we stand in awe of your word. With all that's here, we still wonder what isn't here. Give us the kind of faith that just trusts. You know what you're doing. You always have. And to just love you and obey you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.